Yeah, thanks ever so much. This is, this is the talk that I gave at the Urban Design uh, Group conference. So if you came to that, um, apologies, you get it again. Um, um, so, yeah, we, 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 we know, you know we're all designers. We, that, that quality is sorted. Because um, we've, got, we've got strong policy. God, that is really fuzzy, isn't it? Oh, it's a real shame. I don't know what we can do about that. Sorry. Um, yeah, so we've got, we've, got, we've got a strong policy. We've got the MPPF. Good design is indivisible from good planning, the government tells us. So that's really good. And we've got a good design guidance. Oh, we like to think it's good design guidance. But um, we've got some poor outcomes. I mean, these, these um, clippings are taken from when CABE did its housing quality audit uh, way back when, when CABE was still CABE. Um, but what, what's, what's interesting is that um, when they did, I mean, they did that exercise looking at the quality of the outcomes of, of um, uh, volume house building, um, it was what, what came out from that was the reasons they were failing were mainly around streets. Okay, so they, they, used, they used Building for Life 20 and they looked at the 20 questions that were in Building for Life, but the, the ones that it was generally failing on were all to do with the quality of the connectivity or the fact that the streets were mainly designed around the needs of cars or they were very kind of um, standard spaces with no, no, no quality to them. Um, parking was also a big problem. So that, that, the, the, reasons, the reasons that the house building was, was failing those tests was mainly around, was not about the quality of the architecture and the buildings and the windows and all the rest of it, it was to do with the street patterns and the connectivity. So Manual for Streets came along you know, post those assessments and was meant, to, was meant to address all of that, was meant to deal with that problem. Um, and I'm, I'm sure most of you would have, you know, would have had a look at it. And, and it had some great words. Well, it has some great words in it. Um, not, not the ones that, that you know, just I wrote, but a lot of other people. And Tim was a contributor to it as well. And you know, we, had, we had people who worked on this. And, and it was a genuine attempt to integrate the worlds of urban design and the worlds of transport planning and highways. And it was the first time that the Department for Transport recognised this thing called place. I mean, the Germans discovered it a few years before, obviously, uh, and planted a flag on it. But um, so, in, and it said, you know, the, the streets, the arteries, of communities, and they're not just about getting around. They have other functions. We heard that from from Joe with those, you know, the two things that the the NACTO guide says about movement and place, and that's absolute key theme of manual for streets as well. And it and it says they're about quality of life. So that's all really good, really good stuff. Um, and um, these were the, these were the aims of manual for streets. Just to remind you, you know, it was, it was very kind of lofty aims. Transformation in quality it talked about. Fundamental culture change. Has it, has it actually achieved those things? I, I don't know. Maybe it's had some effect. Um, and um, if you look at the, um, the six, is it one, two, three, four, yeah, six things that, that were on the list of things that streets meant to achieve, um, the first four are really urban design uh, outcomes. So about communities, about inclusive design, about well-connected network, and maybe that's a kind of uh, transporty thing, an attractive and distinctive identity. So those, those were things really that, that highway engineers traf uh, and, and traffic engineers were not really thinking too much about. Uh, I mean, DB32 did say something about well-connected, and it did say a little bit of things about attractiveness, but it was in the forefront. What it also said, though, is that they still have to be cost-effective to construct and maintain, and hence the, the issue about street trees, because they do cost to maintain. And they have to be safe. You know, when many of the streets came out, a lot of people were very concerned that it, that it was almost trading... Um, design quality for safety and said so, no 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 it is about making streets that are still safe we don't want to make them unsafe but it's so you could regard it as a as a of a broadening out of the, the highway engineers objectives you know we need to do these other things as well
Now, um, the, the sort of um, some of the research that went into MFS was, was I think, quite good. Sorry, these are terribly garish, aren't they? Um, but basically, it was all based on some research that TRL did um, at the time and, and looked at the relationship between visibility and speed. Because if you, if you look at the way Design Bulletin 32 approached it and the way the Design Manual for Roads and Bridges approaches it, you have a design speed for the road, for the street. And it almost like assumes that that's the natural speed that you're meant to be designing for people to be able to drive at. Um, and, and therefore, you have to clear the visibility in the buildings back so that you can travel at that speed. And if you, you know, it makes the assumption that everyone will travel at that speed. And if you have a, if you have a, a blind spot, uh, then they will run around the corner at that speed and they will kill the toddler who's around the corner. And what Manu for Street said was, no, actually, we, 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 we're not robots. We're humans behind the wheels of the car. Uh, wheel of the car. And, and so if we reduce the forward visibility, then people will tend to slow down. So you know, places like this... It, it, which um, you know might be regarded, or some people might regard as terribly unsafe, because if you were driving at 20 miles an hour around the corner, or even 30 miles an hour, because the speed limit is probably 30 miles an hour, um, then then you wouldn't be able to stop in time if there was a child around the corner. But these places turned out to be very safe because people do change their behaviour, and 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 that was you know MFS began to. Um, uh, put government endorsement on that idea that we can, we can influence driver behaviour uh, and uh, everyone's behaviour through the environment and we kind of know that. The, another big area that the engineers get very excited about and uh, not everyone else does or well, developers do was, 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 was visibility displays. We spend an awful lot of time at public inquiries arguing about visibility displays um, and, and it's all based on the assumption that, visibility, that there is a very strong relationship between visibility displays at junctions and road safety. Um, and, uh, and one of the things that MFS, the first MFS did was, was actually um, say we can live with much shorter visibility displays. And that's a really good thing. And, and uh, engineers found this, a lot of engineers and safety engineers found that very challenging because they have, they're based on this sort of world that more visibility, the more safety. Um, and the reason it's a good thing is because we were and we have been rejecting an awful lot of sites developable sites, particularly in urban areas, brownfield areas, because you can't achieve very generous visibility displays. So if you reject those sites and say they're undevelopable, and then you build on the edge of cities because you can achieve the sight lines in greenfield situations, you're, you're throwing away the most sustainable sites for the less sustainable sites. So that's a bad thing. So reduce visibility displays if, if, we, can, if we can have confidence that they are um, acceptably safe, then, then it's, it's a good thing. So that was kind of the you know, background. Then, we, then a few years later, we, had our, um, um, uh, we caught up with the Germans again, um, and we had our Manual for Streets 2. And why did we do that? And I, I guess not all of you have seen MFS 2, because it's not a free download, but you can uh, get it from the CIHT, who pu published it with the endorsement of Department for Transport. And it was because we wanted to move from that, that residential world into the busier, into the busier um, street. But there were concerns about, could you apply these new visibility standards to situations where there are HGVs, and uh, can they stop as quickly, um, buses and so on. And we've got you know, fear of litigation, if we get it wrong, are, are people going to sue us? And, and you know, breaking away from those comfort of familiar standards uh, in busier environments, less safe environments. Now, the good news is the planning inspectorate, they believe in many of the streets too, uh, sometimes it, it's, it's challenged as, as to, as to uh, whether it's acceptable or not. But, but um, when it came out in 2010, um, planning inspectors recognised it, and, and quite a lot of um, 
planning inquiries have, have now turned on the whole question of the visibility display standards that are in manual for streets too. Um, and I mean, there's a really interesting case, uh, if, you, if I can give you the reference if you're interested in it. Um, a particular highway authority not only lost um, an appeal because they hadn't applied manual for streets too, they, uh, they actually went down on costs as well. And the inspector said it was unreasonable of them not to even consider it. Um, they had simply gone to the design manual for roads and bridges, the trunk road standard. They hadn't looked at manual for streets too, and they lost and they, and they had costs awarded against them. So it, it is having an, uh, having an effect. And, and, and what I would say is that we did lots more research in Manning for Streets 2 on the whole visibility display question and demonstrated that there was actually very little, well, no detectable relationship between a visibility displays at junctions and highway safety. You know, the assumption that it, that it has a lot to do with safety hasn't been proven and that's just an assumption. So this is meant to be a kind of looking back really. And so has it worked? Has it worked? And I think, you know, uh, MFS, I think, was trying to uh, achieve three things, or well, a number of things, but body and process three things. Better standards that we're going to work to, because it's not a standard of itself, it's a guidance document, and individual local authorities can set their own standards. Um, has it therefore led to individual better streets, you know, in, in, inside, particularly inside developments? And has it led to better developments overall? So, better standards. Well, MFS said what we need are local standards. It said that, you know, if we are about making streets that are distinctive, we need to know what is, what is distinctive about this town and this, this city. Um, you know, is it the materials, is it the dimensions, the relationship with the buildings, the street patterns? What is it that's, that's, uh, that's, that's uh, uh, relevant? So it said we need local standards, but those local standards should be um, placemaking manuals. And we've, you know, these are some examples. And we've, 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 lots of authorities produce streetscape design manuals. And what MFS asked for was a, was a unification of those street design manuals with the highway adoption manual. So you get one book. You know, if you, so you throw the book on the developer's desk or the developer's team's uh, desk, and you say, that's what we want. That's, those are the kind of streets we want in our, in our uh, authority, and it tells you what the materials are and the dimensions, and then we'll, well, then we'll adopt them and approve them. That's, that's what it was meant to do. So has it worked? Well, in some places, and I don't mind naming Worcestershire. I always name them, because then they hate me for it. But, but they're, they're, we do a lot. I mean, actually, there's three Brummies speaking tonight. I should, yeah, three Brummies speaking tonight to you. Um, so, um, yeah, Worcestershire, just down the road. We do a lot of work in Worcestershire. They, um, uh, this is their new highway standard that came out post-MFS, 2009. And, and look at it. Well, where are the buildings? Where are the people? Where are the, where are the cycle routes? Where, you know, it's, it, is, it could, in all but, now, in all but um, uh, you know, the date on the cover, it could be just DB32 with, with different numbers. That's all they've done is change the, um, the, uh, the numbers based on the visibility display. They've missed the, they've missed the point completely that, that this, is all about, this is now a placemaking manual and it's about other things and, they, and they've just missed it. So that's, that's what they've done. They're, they keep telling me every time I criticise them that, yeah, yeah, we're working on a new document, but, but they're not. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, they might be. I don't know. Um, the six C's design guide is, is maybe kind of a bit better. So the six C's, for those of you who don't know, it's three cities and three counties. And it's it Nottingham, Leicester, Derby, Nottinghamshire, Leicestershire, Derbyshire. That's, that's what it is. And, and their logos are on the front. Now, it actually is uh, behind all of that, the Leicestershire guide, and Leicestershire has sort of encouraged the other uh, authorities to take it on. And it says that the, they did a review following uh, MFS, but again, they mainly looked at junction visibility. And they said, well, we believe the flexibility already reflects some of the key things in MFS. 
Um, so things that this is meant to be, we don't want loop roads now, we'll, we're happy to accept kind of sharper bends and all that kind of thing. Uh, that's, all, that's, all, that's all quite good. But they recognise that further work is required. HTD, Highways Transport in Development, I think. Even more closely to, to, to uh, be in line with MFS. And then Noah criticised this as well, so uh, this one comes in as a surprise. So, so I just thought I'd compare some of the things that MFS says and what the 6Cs document says. Uh, and, and because I was speaking in Nottingham at the design conference, I thought this is quite relevant. So what does MFS say? MFS says, like, the, like uh, Graham's second example of the German manual, uh, we should build up the streets uh, from a series of components, particularly in residential areas where the traffic doesn't matter so much. We don't have to worry too much about, you know, standard street types, if we want to make um, distinctive things, we can say, well, what is, what is the width of a parking space? What is the width of a footway? What, you know, where does the tree fit in? And that's what we should do. What does, H, what does, uh, what does uh, um, 6C say? Well, it says, uh, so you can't read that, it's a bit small, but it says, the carriageway width is 4.8 metres up to, up to 50 dwellings and 5.5 metres from 50 to 400 dwellings. Well, just think about that for a second. Firstly, what kind of road networks or street networks can you count dwellings served? Cul-de-sacs, yeah. So if you have a grid of streets, how can you tell which, how many dwellings a particular street serves? You can't. So the very way that the, 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 the standard is phrased implies that we are building cul-de-sac-based developments. That's what it's that's its underlying philosophy. Yeah? So you know, no wonder it encouraged people to do that. And then, and then it doesn't explain why on the 51st dwelling we need 0.7 metres of extra carriageway width. You know, what happens? Do those cars of that 51st house get, you know, are they bigger? Do they drive SUVs? What is it? It doesn't, doesn't explain that. It just says that's it. Now, that's classic DB32. That's classic counting dwellings. Uh, and, and it has... It has no, no, so that's, it. that's what it's in. What does MFS say about shared space streets? Sorry, I'd want something to the little blue box there. But it's shared space streets or, or home zones. You know, it says, that, it says we can, we can, they're very safe and we can share the space. Uh, pedestrians can share the space happily when there's less than 100 vehicles an hour and all of that works and that's great. What does the HTD say? We will not norm normally require a safety audit. That's very good of you. We don't require a safety audit of, of internal development roads unless it contains a home zone. And then we'll want the safety audit. So, the, you know, the, what are, if you look at, even if you look in DB32, it says that shared surface streets, if you look between the first edition of DB32 that came out in 77, I think, and the second edition that came out in 92, they looked at all the shared surface streets they could find, and, and there hadn't been a single accident. And home zones and Vonerf is very, very safe. And yet, 6C's design guide says we only want a safety audit where we're going to do a home zone. Why, why is that? Now here's a home zone in, in Loughborough, actually got the plate, there aren't many that actually put the plate up, but it's a home zone, it's a reasonably attractive street. I was asked to do a safety audit on that, it was a very thin document, it said it's, yeah, it's really, really safe, uh, carry on chaps. And, uh, and, uh, and, but they did it, you know, they, they, they felt they had to have a safety audit because that was a terribly unfamiliar type of environment. Uh, maybe they've changed their mind, but uh, you know, just kind of... Um, what, what does he say? What does, sorry, but, sorry. Sleeping lots of railing. Yeah. The railing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think I recommended that. Yeah, you're right. Actually, actually, no. I think no. They are they are private space. That's they, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's meant to be it's meant to be a privacy zone. Yeah, it's not it's not the footway. Yeah, you're not caged. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not bad. As you get around the corner, it's not bad. Um, what is it? So MFS. What does it say about uh, corner radii? Uh, it says we should have. Uh, very tight corner radii because 
Uh, it means that pedestrians can cross uh, on the desire line. Uh, it means that uh, people don't have to look over their shoulder and, and all the rest of it. Um, now, um, HTD says uh, that, that's good. Uh, it, it's, it's one area where it, it, it allows for that. It says um, large vehicles may use, need to use the full carriageway width to turn, uh, and we can use strep path and nicely. So that's one area that it's kind of moving towards that. Now, having said that, uh, it then sort of lays it out with a road type and says, well, the, the standard corner radius is still six metres. So it says, you know, the words say, well, we can, we can, we can have these tight radii, but the, 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 the tables, which is what people really look at, and the images say we want six metre radius. And if you look at them, and this, 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 um, this uh, uh, axis here, anyone like to guess how many dwellings that serves? <laughs> Seven. Seven. Now, you know, so well, does, it need, does, it need, does it need that to serve seven dwellings? I, I just think not, and, it, and, and it's not good. Anyway, so, so okay, well, that's, that's, so that's from der terribly depressing to, okay, they're trying, but, you know, to, to what well, I think is better, and probably would say this because I worked on it, um, but it was, it, we, we did, with um, Roger Evans Associates, a few years ago, 2011, it came out, we did the South Yorkshire Residential Design Guide. And, and uh, we don't do much work in South Yorkshire, so uh, if anyone's got any experience of using this guide, I'd really like to know, and I'd like to know, you know, it would be great to know from the guys um, who use it to do development control. But it was written uh, from the outset as a joint um, urban design and street, and street design manual, so it has all the kind of things that you know you would recognise as being good streets, fronts and backs, streets as places. Uh, it said that we have we have general kinds of street, principal streets and local streets, and there can be conventional streets with a footway and a carriage, or there could be um, shared space streets. And that was it. That was our degree of our classification. We didn't we didn't go any further than that. Uh, and then here, you know, these are some and and we took examples. So here's a, a local street in Barnsley. Yeah, and, and here, here's an informal shared space in Rotherham. You know, so we said we, we want these are, so if we want to do new development that has something to do with existing places, here's some pictures. Uh, and we look at character and variation and we look at all of that. So, um, um, and then the detailed, the detailed stuff at the back is that kit of part. This is how wide a footway is. This is how wide a, a parking space is. So you can build it up from first principles. So has it, has it worked on better streets? Well, I think in some places it has. So where, where authorities have brought in, it's very patchy, I think. So where authorities have brought into it, this is, this is uh, in, in street. Uh, and, and one of the great things about when you see um, level surface streets or shared surface streets, you always see evidence of children's play. So when the Children's Play Council pushed for home zones in the late 90s, I think you know, they, they were right to do that because it does encourage children to play, uh, even on places that you do get the occasional car. And, and, and this, is, this image was taken from some tra training that I did with uh, Justine Leach uh, uh, a, a while ago, uh, and Andy, I forgot his name, for, from CABE. Um, and uh, we, we did a whole series of training uh, events around good streets. And, and, uh, and we chose this, or I really like this image, because the materials are really simple. You know, that, that uh, one of the things that people often think is that you get quality of streets by using fancy materials. What we've got here, we've got asphalt and, and granite sets. Uh, and, and the quality comes from the enclosure of the space and uh, the planting. And, and, you know, so we, 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 there are some examples of really nice streets that are happening. Um, but it's a battle. Every, the problem is, that's great where you've got a welcoming authority. Where you haven't got a welcoming authority, it's really hard. And, and so developers just don't bother most of the time. So here's a little example. This was um, a development of a social housing site in Redditch. 
again in Surrey, Worcestershire. And uh, we, this is the development uh, that got approved at planning. So uh, it's a cul-de-sac, unfortunately, but the cul-de-sac coming in, open space, no formal turning head, but the space here for vehicles to turn. Uh, the engineers got hold of it, and that's what they were going to give. You know, that's what they're going to have. So, uh, bog standard. No, no, we'll have asphalt. Thank you very much, and, and asphalt footways, and that's it. And uh, we'll have a, we'll have a. Well, we we understand that. Uh, so we'll have a turning. You know, that, and that even when the vehicle isn't present, the design of the space just says it's all about vehicles. So uh, we had to work really, really hard. Um, so the colours are all funny, but this is green. We had to work really hard, and we lost loads of money on the project, but we did it anyway. Um, and we, we, you know, uh, we got just a few subtle bandings of, of blockwork across, and we enclosed that space in blockwork, and we got a tree in the corner, and we demonstrated with the tracking that you could still get a refuse truck to turn in that space, and we just about got the county council to adopt it. But that was for a housing association who wanted a good quality development. Most volume house builders just wouldn't bother. So unless you've got a local authority that actually says, this is how we want to do it, make it easy for developers, most developers will give up and just won't bother. So, um, yeah, the final example was to say, uh, uh, we've, got, we've got, you know, busiest streets, this is Bexley Heath, which some of you will have been to, I know, uh, where we've, you know, many of the streets to land, um, taking out horrible roundabout, applying, uh, applying sort of point and shared space type informal junctions, that's how it was. Uh, a guardrail and funny roundabout. That was the um, uh, the visualisation of it, uh, and that's the reality of it. And 20,000 vehicles a day are using it. Um, Peter's one of his Peter students has done a really uh, good before and after evaluation of it and demonstrated the, um, the reduction in delay to pedestrians. Traffic is about the same in terms of delays. Um, road safety is very good, and it's all working very nicely. And I'm hoping um, that a little video is going to work. Am I okay? Sorry, it's taking too much time. But just to say, so it's a bit fuzzy, but there are two spaces like that, the, the one with circles, and then this one that has um, uh, just a square with absolutely no patterns on it at all. Uh, about 15,000 vehicles a day using this junction, um, and with, with um, informal crossings that look a little bit like zebras, the Department for Transport doesn't like them. They believe they're too, look too close to like zebras. But um, something like about 70% of drivers um, uh, will give way to pedestrians as, as, they, as they use these, these crossings. Um, and it's working really well. And, and, and you know, in, in and out of London Borough, which is not maybe uh, known for its innovation, it's, it's working pretty well. So there are, some, there are some examples of good streets, and I, and I think many of the streets has helped to do that. But my final thing, has it led to better developments? Now, the critical thing for me is about the whole layout of developments and connectivity. So, you know, going to the kind of zooming out, really, from the individual streets. And what MFS said is that if we're building places like this with segregated you know, housing here and the, and the school here and terribly wiggly, we won't get as much walking as if we've got more direct and, and straight routes. So are we getting it? Well, this is what we're getting. These, each of these is a mini Poundbury. You know, so once you get into the development, it's all very permeable and connected, and that's great. But you've got one way in and one way out, and, and uh, with, a, with a big roundabout that's probably quite hostile to walking and cycling. And we, and we get in that pretty much you know, a lot of the time. Um, I was with, uh, in, in a meeting at CIHC today, and Brian Quinn of CABE was talking about lollipop developments. And you know, these are lollipop developments, basically on a, on a stick. Um, uh, and what the MFS say? Well, what he said was, when we we should think beyond the current planning 
time horizon. So here's an example that Andy Cameron came up with of a grid of streets in Ballater in Scotland. And, and, and you could simply, if you ignore the fact that this is a golf course and you could build on it, um, you could happily extend that grid in, and you know, develop in that, in that part and future-proof your road networks. But that, that doesn't happen because most um, settlements try and defend against development. So this is Ulster in, in Warwickshire. You can see, you know, there's the uh, medieval high street with, with uh, plots and connectivity and great, but when you get out on the edge of Ulster, you get the typical post-war housing developments. Here's a, a development, and this is a road here uh, with greenfields beyond, and, and there's the development, the current suburban development, and it backs onto that field, which is now proposed for the next skin of the onion, for the next bit of development. So this is what you've got. This is where the development is here, and it all backs onto it, and we're now going to develop this field in here, and the town centre is about a mile that way. Um, how can we get connectivity? And what we're going to do now is we're going to ignore the fact that in a few years' time, probably that field will come up for grabs, and we will develop this with another bunch of cul-de-sacs here. And, and, and because that's, what, that's all the planning process allows us to do. So the problem is not, you know, the highway engineer. The bigger problem, I think, are the planning process and the land assembly process. Here's a development that we've been working on in Newport in Shropshire. And, and this is what uh, is, was, was originally proposed. You know, um, uh, commercial development here, housing development here, each with its own access, each with its own cul-de-sac arrangement with no connectivity. We had to work really hard and we said, no, no, we, you know, we, want, a, we want a master plan that is connected. If we're going to have a supermarket and a school over here, we want to be able to get through. But there's a critical bit of land here and a ransom strip and we can't achieve that connectivity. So it's the, the problem of getting the kind of connected places that we want are about the planning system and the development system and the volume house builder system. And, and can, a, can, you know, can a book uh, defeat that? I don't think it can. Uh, it's got to be about an understanding of how the whole development process works. So uh, that's, that's it. So I've already taken too much time. But you know, I, think, I think we know that good urban zone is good at macro and micro. We think we've got partial success at micro scale and we've got less success at the macro scale. How do we empower authorities to achieve greater connectivity? Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.